you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, as you're going there, I want you to be uh, continuing prayer um, for Red and Larry Barons. Uh, Red is in the, uh, or Larry's in the recovery process, um, doing pretty good, but that's a open heart surgery recovery is a long process. Also, Eunice Johnson fell. Uh, she's in the hospital, and I know that she would appreciate your prayers. They're going to try to uh, move her to a rehab uh, facility. And uh, so please keep uh, her in your prayers uh, this week as you um, navigate along. I'll add a couple more things to your prayer list. And um, when you um, pray, one of the things I think is really important for us is we have a tendency to say, God, uh, I want to pray for Eunice, and I want you to do this, this, and this, God, and everything will be okay. And uh, instead of just pausing and saying, God, Eunice Johnson belongs to you, would you encourage her today? Would you help her keep her eyes fixed on you, Jesus? He has a plan for her. Same thing with Red and Larry. He has a plan. I don't know all that plan, uh, but I know a father that has a powerful father, and his name is Jesus, and he wants to do something in theirs, heart and soul. So please keep them in your prayers. Uh, if you have your Bible, Matthew um, chapter 16. It's going to be an interesting switch now uh, to what, you've, what we've had the opportunity to be exposed to in the first uh, 15 chapters of Matthew, and the beginning of really Matthew chapter 16, now you get Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And now you're going to get a chance to see Jesus go in a totally different direction. Uh, he had an old way of thinking, or a way that he was talking to his disciples. He was demonstrating his power, people being miraculously healed, uh, mute were being able to speak, people that were sick were being made well, and now Jesus is going to transition. So as you start Matthew chapter Uh, 16, starting in verse 21, you need to know there's going to be a transition that's going to take place. And Jesus is going to take his relationship with his disciples, and he's going to go in a totally different way. He's going to introduce to them uh, a couple words. And uh, when you read Matthew chapter 16 at your end, when I get to the end of this, you're going to say, oh, that's what we read about Peter. But as as we talk this morning, I want to give you two words. The first word is going to be Jerusalem. It's not going to be about power demonstrated. It's not going to be about healing anymore. It's not going to be about this miraculous, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I am the guy that you need to be placing your faith in. He's going to transition from that. It's not going to be that anymore. He's going to transition to Jerusalem, which means he will die, which means he will suffer which means that he will have to submit himself to the authority of his father. That's very important. And then the other word that you, as you read in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to talk about another word called follow. And there's this war in between these two concepts. Most of us love the Jerusalem, and we love Jesus, and we love that he was willing to die on the cross for us, and we love that he was willing to have his beard ripped out, and we love the concept that three days later he rose again. And we love the concept Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we don't do follow very well. Right? We want to read, you know, John chapter 14 and say, yeah, that's my Jesus. We want to see him when the woman says, oh, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Or if these other ones are just, get him to me, get him there. We want to see that power. We want to see the miraculous power of Jesus. That's exciting. But when you say you love Jesus, there's another word. If you will be my disciples, you have to follow him. 
You have to willingly say, it's not about me anymore. You have to make a choice as a human being to say, I surrender. To say, I'm not the one that's in charge anymore. And I'm pretty sure that you're not going to lean over if you're sitting next to your mate. I'm pretty sure you're not going to high-five each other and say, you know what, I really like the surrender. It's so much fun. We were talking yesterday at the campsite, and Susan and I were going back and forth because we were there a year ago. And I said, she said, well, we camp right here. I was like, babe, that's not where we camp. I mean, I, well, you know, the road's right here. I'm like, I'm just, honey, I'm pretty sure that's not where we've camped. I know what I'll do. I'll ask Adam and Stacy. They'll know exactly where we camp. I said, fine, no problem. She asked Adam and Stacy. And about 45 minutes before that, she said, you know what? Would it be neat for us to celebrate when you're right and when I'm right? Can we celebrate that? I just smiled. I didn't say any more. So I'm learning. It's taken me a little while. 24 years, I'm learning. I'm working on this. But she didn't walk over to me and high-five me and say, you know what, babe? You were right. Because there's something, and if I was wrong, I'm pretty sure I would not have walked over and said, you know what, babe, you were right. Way to go, girl. I'm so proud of you for proving me wrong once again. (laughs) And so, you know, it's kind of fun to laugh about it, but when we get down to the practical truth of the Scriptures, you don't want to follow. Because of what Adam and Eve chose to do, and because of the sin nature inside of us, we don't like the fellowship part. We love the Messiah. We love that you're, there is no name that is above your name. But will we surrender ourselves to there is nobody's name that's bigger than yours? And I will submit myself to you. So as we begin this little journey, before we start down this whole Jerusalem road, I wanted to read Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And it says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, your thoughts. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than me. His ways will never be your ways. But will you surrender your ways to his ways? Will you humble yourself before him and say, okay, I want to know your way. Because it's not going to be what's going on inside of me. My Inside of who I am is not an individual that says, yes, I love to follow So this morning as we go to Jerusalem, and you go to Matthew chapter 16, start with verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day to be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Wow. If you start out here, you read these little words. Jerusalem, Jesus must go. And for some reason, as I was studying this week, it's almost like, poosh, check out these must go. Why, why did he must go? Why was it such a big deal for him to go to Jerusalem? It was not the easy road for him. 
And as I was looking through Scripture, reading different people's thoughts, the reason that he must go was because of human sin. He went to Jerusalem not only for the 10,000 of people that you want to think about or you want to deflect on, that he went to Jerusalem for you. He walked that road for you and I as we sit in this building. And so I was thinking about Matthew chapter 20, uh, and you read verse 28, even as a son of man came not to be served, but serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Why else must he go? It was a requirement. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is what? There is no forgiveness of sin. He knew that. Another reason that he went was because of God's plan. Now, I don't know about you, but this this thought just blows me away that God, his Father, had a plan. So he sent heaven down. There was no way that we would ever be able to know God as our Father if Jesus was not willing to follow his Father's plan. We wouldn't have that relationship. And so Jesus brought heaven to us, and one of the um, the verses that I was looking at is go to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. As you think about God's plan, so go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and you read these words. Ephesians chapter 1, start with verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He predestined us as adoption, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. As I look through Ephesians and those couple verses, what I love is verse 4. He chose me. When? Before the foundations of the earth. So before earth existed... He knew your name. He knew that I would be his son. I mean, I can't even comprehend that. I wish I would have known that when I was 16. I would have made a lot of different choices. That I would have come to the realization that I belong to this creator God. And I didn't have to do anything to be accepted by anyone. Because he chose He chose you before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before who? You need to circle that last word. Before Him. Not your friends, not your neighbor, not your parents, not your grandparents, not the preacher. I love when, when people don't know that I'm a preacher. And then I walk up to a conversation and they say, well, by the way, what do you do? Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. 
I do not have to be held accountable to my holy and blameless before you. I will stand before my Father one day. And how many of us for years have wondered, I wonder what so-and-so thinks. Who cares? You're not required to be holy and blameless in front of them. I remember when our little girl started playing the piano. And if you knew Rachel, she does not like shoes. And you know how many people made a comment? Well, don't you have enough money to buy your daughter shoes? Do you know how disgusting it is to walk around barefoot? Do you know how excited I am that my 13-year-old daughter wants to be here? And she's playing the piano? I don't care what you think about her feet. She's here. And when I sat in my house and finally come to the realization that I was not accountable to you or whoever for my daughter's feet, I was so excited. So what about you? Who is it that you're looking for that person's approval? You're looking at that person's attaboy or that or that or whatever it is. He knows your name. You will. Be held accountable one day. You will stand before him. Don't be afraid of it. Welcome me. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. The last reason that he must go, it was a prophetic promise. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Isaiah 53. He was going to have no view of earthly. Yeah, that's the king. That's the leader. He was going to walk into a situation. Isaiah predicted it. And he humbled himself. All the Jews should have said, there he is. That's the Messiah. But they didn't. So the reason that he must go to Jerusalem was for you. And a lot of times as we gather around churches, and we sit in buildings and we open up the Bible, probably more in America than anywhere else. We don't like this word. We have a tendency just to read on part right past the Scripture. And so it's very clear that he will suffer many things from who? The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. The church people. The ones that have, should have known the Scriptures and identified this guy. There's no way we're going to crucify this guy. Or yes, we will crucify him because that's part of our Father's plan because we know the plan. Suffer many things. Isn't it interesting that God, the creator of all, gave his son, and he gave his son not to the easy street? And then who are we to think that our Father has entitled us not to suffer. Who are we to think that God our Father said, hey son, this is what I want from you. Who are we to say then to our Father, you know what? You just need to make me happy and I'll go to church. You just need to make sure that I'm comfortable. You just need to make sure that I've got enough resources You just need to make sure that everything works out well in my life and then I will love you. Total foreign concept to the Scriptures. 
totally foreign to Jesus. He's saying to those disciples, yeah, guys, I've demonstrated my power. I showed you that I'm the Messiah. But guess what? This Messiah is going to suffer. It's going to cost me. The other thing I think that's interesting is you think about Jerusalem. Suffer, scribes, and be what? Killed. And on the third day, be raised. A scripture that I like about that is, is um, Acts chapter 2. We, don't, we won't read it this morning, but Acts chapter 2, 22 and 23. This was the plan. The plan was for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die on a cross and three days later to rise again. Now it's interesting that if you were one of those disciples listening to this guy Jesus talk and seeing all that he had done, All the miracles up to this point, you would have thought, okay, that's the plan for the Messiah. Now, know that they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So they're just walking around as men trying to follow this Jesus guy, and they can't put it all together. They will put it all together in Acts chapter 2. And God will use these men to establish Christianity, to spread the gospel to around the world so that you and I could be sitting in this building today understanding the gospel. It comes from these disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not one man was better than the other, but God spread the gospel throughout the world. What's interesting to me is the response of the disciples. And the response would be from Peter. Now, most of you don't sign up for confrontation or arguments. I don't think most of you. Now, there's some of you that like to argue. I realize that. But majority of us don't say, you know what, just today let's just butt heads for the fun of it. Okay, but you got this individual Peter. And Jesus has told him, upon this rock you're going to build the church. And now Peter's going to have this confrontation with Jesus. Now look what takes place. Jesus, so Peter comes to him in verse 22. And he took him aside. So Peter pulls him off to the side. Now just imagine... A person that you created, his name is Peter, he's pulling you off to the side and going to have a conversation. He pulls him off to the side and he rebukes him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So before we get to the Lord's response, why did Peter do this? Well, if you think about it for a little bit, it kind of makes sense. Peter is the one that walked on water. Peter's the one that Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build the church. And the gates of hell are not going to, take, or not going to, to hinder this. So you have this individual who's trying to protect his leader. He doesn't want to do life without Jesus. I mean, can you imagine walking around with Jesus and all these people are healed and people are fed, and you're like, man, I, this is pretty cool. I want to follow this guy for the rest of my life. This guy is amazing. He's an incredible leader. He talks in stories and people walk away, you know, dumbfounded. He tells people what they're thinking before they even say it. This guy's awesome. You're not dying. Now, there's just no way this is going to happen. Peter is only seeing the temporary. He is not seeing the eternal. Now, I want you to see something here. Look at Jesus' response. So you have this confrontation. Now you're going to get Jesus to say something back to him. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, 
For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Now let's stop here a second. This is where Christianity gets really kind of rubber meets the road. The temptation for you sitting in this building this morning is always to think temporary. Well, I just need to be happy. Well, could you serve the food a little bit faster? Well, what's wrong with this gas thing? I mean, now i got to go, you mean I have to walk inside actually to get my receipt? It won't print for me right here? I mean, really, I'm pretty important. And it's really kind of humbling for us to really stop and start looking around saying, you know what, how much of what we do is just for the temporary? That we haven't paused and said, oh, no, Lord, what is the eternal plan? What, is what, what are you doing here? Before they took the picture yesterday, um, Eric and Amy, they got me a hat. And part of it says Patterson, and on the top of it has this little whirly bird thing. And so... Susan and I are walking back through the camp ground after the picture. We're going to go eat supper. And I just said to Susan, I said, you know, it's amazing that the foreknowledge of God knew that somebody would get saved and the whirly bird would be camping with these people this weekend. And that's all part of his plan. That's all part of his grace. That's all part of his mercy. And so I had to stop thinking about it because I was going to start bawling in front of everybody as I walked through the campground. So I figured I better not think about this much longer. But Peter has been called out by his father and saying, get behind me, Satan, because you are a hindrance. Peter, why, why is Peter a hindrance? He's thinking only of the temporary. He's thinking mostly about his comfort. He's thinking mostly about, you know what, I just... I really kind of enjoy this. This is kind of an awesome opportunity for us. So as you think about Jerusalem, I want basically a passage of Scripture to be paralleled in your mind as you think about all that's taking place in these first few verses, this 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And when you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's just best for me to read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is now recording to this church at Corinth. Now I want order. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as first importance, but I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And if you read on more, you'll see that there's more witnesses to that. The most important part about Jerusalem is Jesus. So as you sit here this morning, salvation is only found in one name, and that name is Jesus. Now most of us were pretty comfortable with that concept, right? Most people are involved in churches. They're not really walking around saying, well, I don't really believe in Jesus. Now is where, as you get into this Jerusalem concept, now where the struggle comes is, will you set your mind on things above? 
Will you no longer be that individual that is saying, you know what, I'm really just thinking about myself. I'm just really thinking about the temporary. That's our natural tendencies. Will you transition your heart and soul to this next word? Follow. So drop down to verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, some are standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. I should go back up to verse 24. I want us to look at this concept of what it means to deny himself. What does it look like for you and I to set ourselves aside? What does it look like for us to say, it's not my will, preference, thought process, or what I want for the sake of somebody else? I want to set me aside for somebody else. And so this morning, I want to use a couple passages of Scripture uh, for that. So since you're in Matthew, let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, and start, and let's look at verse 24. So Matthew 26, 24. So let's start with verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at the table of the twelve. But as he was eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, It is the one who dipped his hand in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him. But woe to the man who, Son of Man who betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who also betrayed him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said, You have said so. Judas said, You know what? For 30 pieces of silver, my life will be a little bit better so I'll just betray this person. So he set aside what he had saw, demonstrated in the power of Jesus for the temporary of just some gold. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Deny himself. What does that look like? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through the deceitful desires. What have you put off of your former who you were? Deny myself. Who am I? I'm a sinner that is saved by grace. What do I do naturally? Sin. Am I willing to ask the Lord to set some of that stuff aside 
so that I am denying me. That life is not about me. Philippians chapter 3. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul's words again to the church at Philippi. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though, if you read on, Paul had every opportunity to say, yeah, look at me, I'm this Jew of Jew, denied himself. It's not about Paul. It's not about what he did. Here's, an, here's kind of another, so if you go back to Galatians, so go to Galatians chapter 5. Sometimes it's easy to wrestle with people's thoughts or illustrations, but it's kind of difficult to wrestle with the truth of Scripture. So what does it mean for me to deny myself? Well, here's a way that I could look at it from a different perspective. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. What do I know? I know it's easy for me to sin. So if it's easy for me to sin, I want to deny that part of who I am. But do I see any of this in my life? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Have you ever been in trouble for being gentle to somebody for a long period of time? Have they ever come to you and said, you know, I'm just really tired of your gentleness? Well, you, you, just, you just have self-control. I'm just tired of your self-control. And so if I want to deny myself, I need to think about do, the flip side of that. Do I see these characteristics demonstrated in my life? Am I more patient now than what I was five years ago? Are you? Don't bump your neighbor. Don't bump your spouse. Don't think about your grandchildren. Don't think about the people at work. Is there more patience in you? Is there more joy? Is there more peace? Is there more kindness? Is there more faithfulness in you now than what there was five years ago? See what I'm trying to see what, how it is? So if I'm going to follow Jesus, these characteristics should be easily identified or more identified. Now, This is not something, I am not more patient now than what I was five years ago because of me as an individual. Just need to know that. Okay? This isn't a little self-help speech, you know, I'm really kind of a nice guy now. Look at, I've done this little thing. No. Anything that I see in my life that is better is because of the Holy Spirit living inside of me and I have surrendered to the strength of the Holy Spirit. I am not naturally patient. I am not naturally easy somebody to love. I'm not naturally joyful person. I'm not naturally kindness. I am opposite in all of those things. Thank you, Adam and Eve. So if there is any development in who we are as individuals, don't fool yourself. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have to empty you of you to see the Holy Spirit in you. You have to humble yourself before God and say, God, I want this to be part of who I am. That's what Jesus said. You want to follow you? Get out of the way. Deny yourself. Deny the opportunity to be right. Deny the opportunity of, well, you know what, I'm in a hurry. Set who you are as an individual. So if you really want to try this out, get married. It's quite fun to figure out. More spiritual growth has happened in my life through my marriage and my children than anything else because it's actually made me go look in the mirror for me. Everything that I see in my marriage and my children are the inadequacies that I see in me. So 
So I have to go, God, you've got a lot of work to do because I am totally need help here. I can identify this, this, and this, and this in my kids, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, that's all everything you do. Thanks. I really appreciate that. So deny yourself. I want to show you another one. Let me do something on my computer here. Okay. Now, take up your cross. And I've been thinking about this. Now, when, when this is written, when, Jesus, when Matthew is writing this, he has a concept of a cross, and I don't think it's asthma. Okay? I don't think it's, um, you know, a bum knee. I think there's some more to this than just take up your cross. What's interesting is, is as we as individuals, when we think about the concept of taking up the cross, will we identify with Christ in his rejection, shame, suffering, and his death? That's what Wearsby said. Another way to look at this, in the Roman Empire, a convicted criminal, when taken to be crucified, was forced to carry his own cross. This showed publicly that he was under the submission of, to the rule he had been opposing. Likewise, Jesus' disciples must demonstrate their submission to the one against whom they rebelled. That's Walverton's up. Another thought about this. For a disciple of Christ to take up his cross is for him to be willing to start on a death march. To be a disciple of Christ is being willing to suffer pain and even death of a condemned criminal. That's MacArthur's thought. Now, all the years that I've been reading through the Scriptures, I've never thought about taking up the cross from that perspective. I've always thought about it, you know what, I'm taking up the cross that I lost my dad when he was 52, and I'm really you know, suffering because of that. I, was, I'm not, I don't think that's what I believe anymore. I think I really am working through this concept of taking up my cross is really saying to my heavenly Father, I'll begin a death march where it's not about me anymore. I'll surrender. I'll throw in the towel. I'll say uncle. I'll say it's I give up. I'll say whatever you want me to say but I want to identify, I want to, I want to walk and carry the cross that I rebelled against. And so when I was two, I was pretty rebellious. Nobody ever taught me no. When I was about 18 months old, my mom and dad took me to the Palmer house. I don't remember this. And for whatever reason, I was being mischievous, so my dad just handed me a chicken bone. Said, just chew on this, and he didn't tell me, I don't, I don't remember him saying this, but they tell me that I just chewed on that chicken bone. Well, my dad was ready to leave. And he wanted me to put the chicken bone down on the table. And he said, I pitched a royal fit. I don't remember any of this. I was told later on that I got an opportunity to leave the Palmer house with the chicken bone because my dad was so embarrassed of how I acted. I don't remember any of this stuff. Nobody taught me when I was two, it's really good for you to rebel against your parents. Tell them no instead of yes. Tell them, no problem, Mom and Dad, when I'm five, I love to obey you. That'll be so much fun. 
And so that same rebellion that's in my heart, I want to humble myself to the cross and say, I'm going to carry that rebellion and I'm going to walk in my life as a death march to follow you, Jesus. I'll take up that cross. I will humble myself before me, for you and say, you're in charge. I surrender. Now what's interesting is, will you say the same thing? Will we pause this morning as you, as you think about this whole concept of follow? Naturally, this is who I am. Hello, I'm in charge. That comes natural for me. But as I go through the Scriptures, I'm reminded of John chapter 15. And if you want to do some afternoon study of the Scriptures, you want some afternoon spiritual encouragement, because I tell you if it's homework, you won't do it because you're rebellious. Because I didn't like to do my homework either. But if I sit with John chapter 15, what is John telling me? The Apostle John's telling me to abide in Christ. I could do nothing without him. I'm reminded in, in um, 1 Peter what it means to, to live in suffering. As this church is being established and Peter's writing to this group of believers that are they're scattered. Why are they scattered? Because God had a plan to spread the gospel around the world. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised as the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God at a proper time that He may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. First John chapter 2, remind that you've been loved by him. This is one I was looking at this morning, just reading again. Sol- Solomon writes Ecclesiastes and... Um, and at the end of his life, he's tried everything. And I, you know, we live in a world that they try everything and, and people's lives are just, they're more messed up now than they've ever been before. And they haven't come to the realization then, as Ecclesiastes tells us in chapter 12, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed and judgment whether in every secret thing, whether good or evil. It's reminded of Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Will I trust Him? It's reminded of Psalm chapter 1, thinking about will I meditate on the Scriptures? Will I be like that tree that's firmly planted by the water? So this morning you really have kind of two words that are in front of you. You have Jerusalem and you have follow. And he kind of ends, so go back to Matthew chapter 16. He kind of ends it kind of this way and um, so Matthew chapter 16, and you drop down to verse 27. Well, let's just, just for 25, because there's this temptation for whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you lost your life for his sake? 
have you just turned over the 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 keys or the steering wheel or however you want to phrase this and just have you ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I don't want this to be about me anymore. It's 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 all yours. That was probably one of the scariest times of my life is saying, okay, what do you want to do with this kid from Indiana? I'll never forget that night. I was at Word of Life Island. I was planning to go on a missionary trip with Word of Life to Kenya and to, into um, Hungary, Budapest, Hungary. And I, uh, I didn't know what... I wanted to be a math teacher and a coach. That was my plan. And so my dad knew my life was out of control. He said, you need to go on a missions trip. And I'm like, I'm going to want to go to Africa. And he said, yes, you need to go. I think he pretty much paid for me to go. And I remember at Word of Life Island saying, look, I don't know what you want from me, but I surrender. If you want me to be a missionary, now you need to know how crazy this is. Okay? I grew up in a town of 3,000 people. Just take 27 North and go for a long period of time, and you'll run into this little old town called Burn, Indiana. Right? We didn't go anywhere because we didn't have a phone to tell you where to go. You went, ev- you went everywhere by handwritten directions. I mean, I, that, that was just my life. And now here I am as a, as a 19-year-old kid saying, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll even be a missionary. So I remember... Didn't have phones, so I went down to the pay phone at Word of Life Island, called my dad, said, Dad, I think God wants me to be a missionary. And I, I wish I could have seen his face. <coughs> he said, all right, sounds good to me. Have a good evening. <coughs> all right. And that began taking this 19-year-old kid back to Word of Life to the Bible Institute Back to second year, and, so, and Rachel asked me the other day, she said, Dad, why did you go to South Africa? I said, Rachel, I, I really think I was just dumb enough to trust Jesus. That's all I can tell you. She said, how did you know what to do to start a ministry in South Africa? I'm like, I don't know, Rachel. I just did whatever Jesus told me. Go over here. Go there. Go see this guy. I just did. I was dumb enough to say, you know what? One day I'm going to look you in the face. And I don't want to be that guy. I said, look, I've got it all under control. I know exactly what to do. I don't want to be in charge. I said, here I am. You want me to go to Africa? I'll go to Africa. You want me to come back to Sebring? That's scary. I don't know if I'm really ready for that. But I want to lose my life. And freedom, I have so much freedom now. Because I don't have to make the decision. I'm not in charge. Want me to go do this? Fine, I'll go do it. But I fear that, I don't have fear. I think a lot of us are still holding on like, God, we got this. You don't have it. So let go. Be like those goofy people that go to Orlando and they get in those things called a slingshot. And then they video you and you're like, oh, they're all freaking out. But then when they finally go, and then they know that they're going to come back down, they're going to live, they're okay. That's the way life is with Jesus. Just let it go. Get in the, get in the cage and say, hey, I'm yours. Let him send you where he wants to. He goes, show, 
He'll take you places you've never been before. Do things with your life you've never seen done before. It's so much fun. Is it easy? Does it hurt? Does it make sense? No. But when I lay my head on the pillow, I know that I follow my father, whatever he wanted me to do. He said, I'm yours. Because I really believe, verse 27, I really believe for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and in the glory of his Father, and then he will pray each man according to what he has done. I believe I'm going to look Jesus face to face one day. So I don't know where you are this morning, and how do we wrap all this up, you know, using two words. I would just encourage you with my first word, Jerusalem. I pray that you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The reason that he must go there is because he wanted a relationship with you. That's why he went to Jerusalem. That's why he told Peter, get behind me. It's not about you being comfortable, Peter. There's some people in in Highlands County that I want to know my name, Peter. So move out of the way. And then there's that other word. Are you teachable this morning? Are you willing to follow him? you recognize this morning that you're alive because Jesus wants you alive? Is Jesus really a beautiful name to you? Not just here on a Sunday morning, but when you're out there, is it really the name that you just say often, think about often? Is he your Christ? Have you allowed him to be in charge? Have you humbled yourself? Have you got to the point where you're the end of the rope and you say, you know what, I'm just going to humble myself before you. Can I just say something? There's power in the name of Jesus. And one day you will stand in front of him. And my prayer is that you will learn on this earth to humble yourself before him, allow him to be in charge, recognize that he's willing to die on the cross for your sins so you could actually live and be free. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be around your scriptures today. Pray for the group that's camping, that the word of God will be proclaimed powerfully there, that Adam will be an encouragement to them, that those over there that hear his voice will be challenged to grow spiritually. May those that are here in our family today be challenged to grow spiritually. May Jerusalem be an incredible word to us because we know that's the place that our Savior died. And may follow be a a natural word to us. May humility be a natural response to who we are as sons and daughters of yours. So, Father, your Holy Spirit is the only one that's going to be able to make this happen in our lives. So I pray that your Holy Spirit move mightily in individual hearts in our family. Thank you for allowing us to meet around the Scriptures. We love you, Jesus. Your name I pray. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you for being part of our family this morning.